Everybody and welcome to True Stories of Tinseltown. And boy, oh boy, this is a first, a first. Isn't this something? I've never talked solely about this. And that's because I'm really not going to be talking the most. I have a wonderful guest who knows every kind of genre. And he knows his musicals. And he knows everything about movies. Mr. John DeLeo. Thank you, John. Hey, Grace, good to be back with you for what do you think this is, like our eighth one? Or I think so. Like I was that. trying to count. Morse. We got to get, know. yeah, I can't wait. Our 10th, we're going to have to have like something an anniversary like confetti, <laughs> woo, 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 like some special sound. But right. you love musicals. I do. And, and you know, maybe we should say why, you know, why you're doing a show on musicals when it's not your thing. It's because you asked me to pick the topic. <laughs> and I said, um, well, this has been an interesting year for uh, adaptations of stage musicals to the screen. We've already had two Tony Award shows become musicals uh, in the Heights and Dear Evan Hansen. And it's such a weird year for the box office, so most things aren't doing very well. But even more than those is the big, high-profile, uh, uh, at long last, release of Steven Spielberg's remake of West Side Story, which was, of course, supposed to come out last December yes. and was delayed because of COVID. So this one, and of course, it's Spielberg. It's a remake of a movie that won Best Picture. I love and, the choreography. Yeah. I love that movie. And, yeah, and it... Um, you know, the show is still beloved. The music is glorious. Yes. And so this is a, just sort of, I think, coincidentally, a year in which this subject has been back. Yeah, because so Broadway is opening. Was, yeah. yeah. I, and Broadway's I, open, has opened, yes. Yes. I can see directly. I, I'm in the back. Well, yeah, I'm in the back of my building, but it's a cross street and right across yeah. the street from me is a Broadway theater. So it's oh. Broadway, Broadway, Broadway everywhere. But I have to admit to everybody, it is, like I said, it's not my favorite genre. I am not schooled on this to the Maximilian shell. I've watched them, but John knows them <laughs> better. I know a lot of you don't get to see Broadway and I like the myth of people who live in Manhattan and, and could literally walk five minutes and go to a few shows. You know, I've been to some, but it's just, you know, it's yeah, not like I not go every that. week. I'm going to the theater. doesn't happen. Right. <laughs> okay. Right, right, right. So right. Uh, we're going to do some earlier ones, too. So why don't you start? John is going to lead us. Well, it's, it's funny because, um, well, not funny, uh, in my uh, previous book, 10 Movies at a Time, I have a chapter on this very subject, which mostly deals with the musical adaptations from the 1960s, because that was kind of the big decade yeah. of Broadway musicals becoming movies. Four of the 10 Best Picture Oscar winners were musicals, 
which was not the norm, of course. So it all kind of, not that they're even the greatest ones, but that was the sort of the heyday of this whole sort of thing. And it's come back in spurts through the years. Um, but just if you let, since you're letting me take over <laughs> and I, and I am, uh, just a you quick know, you're so shy. Of, you're so shy. I know. I'm that's so shy. I, that's why I always that's have like you on. <laughs> calling it hijacking the show. No, I asked you uh, to. Of course. I know. I know you did. But it's, but basically, of course, talkies come in with the jazz singer, and they need they can now make musicals for the first time, and of course, Broadway is the place to get the material. So there's a crush of those. In the beginning, most of them not so hot, those early talky musicals. And it's not really till you have something like Showboat in 36 that you have a kind of prestigious um, transfer from a, of a Broadway musical to the screen with James Whale directing. But in those days, it, it, like I said, Broadway was thought by Hollywood to just be a, a place to get stuff to uh, then refashion for the people you had on a contract. So nobody cared who was in them in New York for the most part. It was really about just buy vehicles for your people. Get babes in arms for Judy and Mickey. Get I Married an Angel for Jeanette and Nelson. Get Lady in the Dark for Ginger Rogers. And, and that was really all that um, they were kind of used for. And of course, there were hit songs often that came with them, which always helped. But it's really not until... Um, the musical on Broadway was taken more seriously, that the movie versions got taken more seriously. And I think the turning point in that regard is 1955, when you have the long-awaited movie versions of Oklahoma and Guys and Dolls, both of which were big movie hits as well. But by then, like I said, everyone had been waiting for the movie of Oklahoma since 1943, and everyone kind of knew the songs. And then those properties they weren't treated as casually anymore because even in the years right before that, when MGM would buy on the town or kiss me, Kate, you know, again, prestigious shows on Broadway, they were still just thought to be things you would turn into MGM musicals and do what you wanted with them. And, uh, then they became, like I said, more, uh, more prestigious and they got big time directors often who had nothing to do with musicals. So and you have also, Joseph L. Mankiewicz doing yeah. Guys and Dolls. You have Fred Zinneman doing Oklahoma. That doesn't really make sense. But they were considered worthy of these Oscar winning directors. John, so that's kind of. Yeah. I'm sorry I interrupted you, but I just wanted to ask you too. more yeah. prestigious. And they also had a higher budget. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Sure. And it leads to, you know, the beginning of, well, not the beginning of, but, uh, you know, the dubbing in the major roles. Uh, uh, like, uh, um, I mean, the best example is Deborah Carr in The King and I, because it sounds like it's her voice. It's it's so good. You, could, you would assume it's her, but we know she's not a singer. Um, or the other alternative was to let Marlon Brando sing for himself and Guys and Dolls and kind of, you know, sort of muddle through adequately. But, you know, no one goes away talking about his uh, singing voice equaling his acting ability. So I'm saying that kind of kicks off what I was talking about later with the 60s, with the versions of West Side Story and The Sound of Music and all these big event movies Um which dominate for, like I said, the next 15 years or so until you have a number of massive flops that make it think, make the uh, studios think 
you know, tastes are changing. We're now in an easy rider age. We have the rating system. It's not old Hollywood anymore. And mm-hmm. so you have some big flops like Man of La Mancha and Mame. And then it's over for like the next 25 years. So that's just kind of a quick rundown. But now we can talk more specifically about some of the ones we want to mention. Um, so why don't you mention one and okay. um, we'll get going on this. I want to mention uh, My Fair Lady. Mm-hmm. Because they had Julie Andrews in this film, it, not in the film. She starred on Broadway with Rex Harrison, right. and right. they made a con- you know they didn't ask Julie to reprise a role in the movie. Right. They asked right. Audrey Hepburn, and she said Audrey allegedly said you know she thought Julie should be the part, but if she's not going to do it, I'm going to do it. And allegedly, I don't know if this is true, John. You'd be the one to know. They promised Audrey she could use her own voice. Yes, I believe she was told that, and she worked really hard. And I, I think they've even spliced together uh, some of her recordings with the footage, so you could get a sense of what it would oh, have been. I I've believe seen they did them. the same thing with Natalie Wood in West Side Story, where she worked and worked and worked. I'm not sure if they promised her, but she was hoping she would get to sing it. And then, of course, in both cases, it ended up being Marnie Nixon, who had dubbed Deborah Carr. But in Deborah Carr's case, it matched perfectly. And in both West Side Story and My Fair Lady, when Marnie Nixon's voice comes out of those two women, and These jarring, tiny little it women. No, it has no connection <laughs> to their speaking voice. No, and it's and so, oh, and when it's Audrey just, does in Spain, the rain in Spain, and starts yeah, doing that yeah. really like operatic stuff, it yeah. doesn't mix. But the, it doesn't connect. Yeah. And she sings. You can tell it's her own voice singing. Just you wait, because it's kind of a talk sing right. kind of song. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's it works, of course, and it's not jarring. It's her voice. Um, but yeah, that casting again goes to that question of. You know, you have to have one, or the thinking went, you had to have one box office name. And yes, Rex Harrison was famous, but he didn't have people lining up at the movie box offices. So you could have him recreating his role. But Julie Andrews was still a question mark at that point. And I think Audrey Hepburn, too, knew that if she said no, they still weren't going to give it to Julie Andrews. They might yes. have gotten somebody else that was a name. So, it, you know, re- rejecting the role didn't really solve the problem and, and give Julie the part she created. Exactly. I just did um, a podcast with Robert Matson, who just wrote a new book on Audrey called Warrior, and he did another one, Dutch Girl. And we were talking about that, and it's like, well, they're not going to give it to her, so I'm going to take it, and why not? Yeah. But the funny part yeah. of this is... Rex Harrison cannot sing, so he right. talks, sings through the whole thing. And she, I thought, she, did you hear it? Because I saw the clips where they put it together. It's yeah. on YouTube. Yeah, yeah. Of I, her I, singing, Wouldn't It Be Loverly? And it was yeah. sweet. Oh, and right. I do remember More that, yes. her. And so yes. I really didn't get it. Did you ever hear Natalie's voice? I don't recall if I ever heard that. The, I guess the most famous example of, what, of this thing we're talking about is Ava Gardner and Ju- playing Julie in Showboat, where they did let her do it, and then they changed it back before the movie came out, and they have the dubbed voice that doesn't match her, her sound at all, but they compromised by letting her recordings be on the album. So if you bought the album, you got Ava Gardner. And they have, a, and that's Entertainment 3, I remember they, they put 
Ava's recordings back onto the film because the singer, Annette Warren, had to match it perfectly because they kept not being sure which one they were going to use. And it is so much better when Ava Gardner sings it herself. It's touching, it's warm, it's lovely. I love and, to see, I have to look that up on YouTube. Yeah, look that up too, because that is, that is definitely floating around. But you're right, there's some, you lose that's obviously you, that feeling of spontaneity, that feeling of a connection. Or vulnerability when, both these women yeah. had. You know, it's yeah, like this, yeah. you know, operatic, you know, soprano yeah. ladies just going yeah. to town. And Marnie Nixon yeah. did have a great voice, but she was yeah. not for Sound of Music or West Side Story. And I love, it, yeah. oh, no, I'm sorry. Uh, no. It's, uh, I'm not, didn't mean uh, Sound of Music, but West Side Story and yeah. My Fair Lady. So yeah. those were my two. <laughs> well, the thing with well, speaking of My Fair Lady, though, you know that was a hit and it won Best Picture and all. But you know, I I I have a lot of problems with that film because it treats the material, which is wonderful, too reverentially, and so you feel like it's almost an embalmed museum piece from the moment <laughs> it starts. And you wish you talk about spontaneity. In some ways, not in the singing, but in some of the scenes, Audrey Hepburn is often the best thing in it because she hasn't done it before. And she is kind of this sort of has a freshness that often is not there. And the other thing, you know, George Cukor, who directed it, was, you know, had a history of bringing plays to the screen wonderfully. Of course, The Women, Dinner at Eight, uh, Born Yesterday. Um, gaslight, and yet, you know, he finally wins an Oscar for My Fair Lady, and it's one of his weaker efforts. Yeah. It's so stagey; it never feels like a movie, even when they're supposedly outside. You know, they're not; they're in some sound stage. Yes. There's just an kind of an airless feeling about the whole thing. And not that I'm saying you have to be on location for everything, but there's just something so visually drab to me about the whole thing. And I think that people were just so in love with the material that at the time it came out, they were kind of swept away into thinking it was a good movie, but it's not. Now, you know, I've only watched it once, and this was, I think, when I was a kid. It was on TV on Thanksgiving, so, you know, my dad watched it, so I watched it. But, you know, I I think I went to the bathroom a lot, got ice cream. (laughs) It's long. And, I mean, it does preserve two wonderful performances, Rex Harrison and Stanley Holloway as her her father. Oh, he was Um, great. great, It's great that they're... You know, like I said, preserved uh, basically what they did on stage. But, you know, that's the sort of best thing you can kind of say about it as a movie. Um, it just doesn't really fly. And as time goes on, I, I just don't think it's certainly not one of uh, Cukor's best films. No, not at all. I can't believe he got the Oscar for that. Yeah. yeah. Um, you want me to throw one? Well, look, I you want know, you to in- throw one or two in. Well, the obvious one after that, because we're talking about Julie Andrews, is The Sound of Music, which I think um, does a lot of things, you know, did a lot of things the right way. And, um, you know, it's sort of the the opposite of what My Fair Lady did was remind you you're watching a play. Uh, in The Sound of Music, they're constantly outside and they took a show and, and really went to Salzburg and filmed much of what we remember from the movie outside. 
and it almost kind of makes it impossible to even see the show on stage because you, you have visions of Alps and things, and it's hard to just sort of see it so compact on a stage uh, ever after. Um, but see, I think it worked so well because it's a, it's about the joy of music. It's about getting this family to open up and be happy and find their happiness and get out of their gloom and their grief. Um, and so you would believe actually someone like Julie Andrews, Maria would sing on a mountain or would take the kids bicycling through town singing. And so it has a kind of, um, genuine quality a genuine joy that obviously transmitted to the audience who made it the most successful movie of its day. And so they also benefited from the fact that the show was not considered so hot. It was not a museum piece like uh, my fair lady that had to be treated reverentially. Right. It was a lesser Rogers and Hammerstein show. And so they actually improved it. They rearranged the order of the songs and they did different things to it. And Julie Andrews was, of course, the magic ingredient where, you know, it was just the perfect match. And that's a tricky thing. You're not always sure when you cast anyone that it's going to click. But I, she is the essential ingredient and definitely. she made it what it is. Yeah. Can I ask you, now with the other films she made and they didn't cast her, did it, was it like they thought she was unproven, yes, but yeah. her looks, I think she's adorable. I think she's very attractive. Yeah. She worked for this because she's Blade and Nine and all that other stuff. And um, I think she'd be fine in any of the others. You can put on a wig, whatever. But she was great in this. I thought the chemistry between um, Julie and Christopher Plummer was amazing. Yeah. And he, yeah. I think he's a cutie pie deluxe, too. So, yeah. <laughs> I do. It but was, you know, they did another... Yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. No. Okay. Well, so they they did another interesting thing in the show. The character, the Baroness, played by Eleanor Parker, has two songs, and they cut them. Now, yeah, Eleanor Parker was not a singer, so that makes sense. But it was a smart move dramatically because the Baroness represents a different kind of life for the captain. Maria represents music and that kind of joy and that kind of expression. So. The Baroness has no business being a part of that. So without giving her a non-musical role automatically separates her in our minds from this world that, that Maria has uh, created in the, in the mansion. And so it just makes sense. Subliminally, it, it works. And so like I said, there are a lot of just smart details that enhance the experience of that film. I have to say that I loved The Contest. I loved Alan Parker in that film. She was wonderful. Yeah. Yeah, she is. She's she such a little, yeah. her lines were great, and she just yes. was very good. The cast was great. Yes. And, you know, I again, this was another one. I think it was on Thanksgiving. I don't know. They used to play all these <laughs> things on Thanksgiving. <laughs> and it was my mother's favorite film. She yeah. got her, I never knew this, but she cut, she had really pretty kind of wavy hair, to, but I never knew her like that as a kid. Yeah. All I knew yeah. was having, you know, short, short hair. And it's because she loved Julie Andrews, so she got the Julie <laughs> Andrews cut and had him most of her life. Right. Yeah, right. she loved it. And and I like the sound of music. I don't think I had to go yeah. to the bathroom that often during No, that. no. I, no. I, I did like it a lot, and I watched it with my mom. I got her the uh, DVD. And when I would visit her every once in a while, I visited her often, but I would put that on and sit with her. No. 
A good segue from there is Camelot, which I think was on your list to talk about. Right. What's interesting about Camelot is it's made in 67 or comes out in 67. And at that point, who are the, like, the two biggest stars in the world are Richard Burton and Julie Andrews, the stars of the show from 1960 when they were not the biggest stars in the world. They were, they were at that point both names he had of course had been in the robe years before too was a was a movie star of sorts and i don't really know the backstory on why they at least weren't offered their roles which would have enhanced the box office immeasurably big time um but i they it was such a huge budget i'm sure it has to do with money in the sense that was a very expensive film and it was warner brothers their big follow-up to my fair lady which had grossed so much and, uh, you know, Jack Warner, I guess, was putting uh, all the dollars in the sets and costumes. But that didn't turn out very well. And I think they they really should have uh, gone after uh, Burton and Julie. And, at least um, to, what's his you name? Know, it was Richard Harris and Vanessa Goulet, Redgrave. But Goulet was uh, and, the yeah, and Goulet guy. was out. Yeah, he was uh, Franco Nero, who is dubbed. Um, but again, like My Fair Lady, the, the male role is a talk-sing kind of part, and the female role uh, is a soprano. Oh, Vanessa Redgrave. Yeah. Vanessa and, Redgrave. And she couldn't, didn't they use her singing? She couldn't sing. Yeah, she, yeah they both <laughs> do their own singing, and yeah, yeah, neither one of them can sing. And uh, so when Franco Nero comes on with his dubbed voice, it's like, oh, someone, someone can sing. Even though it's um, not him. But he was cute. Yeah, even though it's not him. <laughs> yes, even though it's not him. <laughs> what a cutie But that's, a, that's, an, that's an issue. Like, unlike what I was complaining about with My Fair Lady, uh, the staginess, the, uh, that they're always inside even when they're outside, it was consistent. In Camelot, it's all over the place. You've got the snow scene, which looks like a stage. And then you've got all these, the lusty month of May, people running and rolling down hills. And it's a constant back and forth, like whatever they feel like doing in a scene. And it's to me, it's just a huge mess. And Joshua Logan directed it, but never got a handle on what it was supposed to be or how it was supposed to work. And... Um, it's endless and slow, and and despite the pretty songs, I think it's one of the worst of the movies yeah. uh, adapted from a stage musical. I think that wasn't on at Thanksgiving, and I <laughs> <laughs> I didn't watch it. I I just I think I saw a few minutes here and there, but it just didn't hold my interest. It also yeah. bombed big time, right? What's I'm sorry? It bombed. Say? It didn't do yes. well. Oh, yes. I'm sorry. Yes, exactly. It, it was a flop, um, but deservedly so. And like, like I said, this was when things were starting to change. Like how much more can we invest based on the success of A Sound of Music where that we know that people love that kind of thing. But it's a very tricky thing to get the right balance of all the elements to make it work. And this soon followed by, you know, Hello, Dolly. And as I said, things like Man of La Mancha and Mame, the writing was on the wall. And then it wasn't worth taking the risk because chances were you'd flop. Funny Girl did well, though, didn't it? Yeah. Now, Funny Girl, I'm glad you mentioned Funny Girl. That comes after Camelot. That's in 68. Now, Funny Girl, if you just look at the material, it's a wonderful score. But the book is fairly ordinary. It's like one of those old 40s biopics. Um, it's not 
particularly special or insightful and it really has no second act once she marries him it just becomes a soap opera on waiting for them to split right and him to go to jail but what it had of course on the stage as well was barbara streisand and those songs and her humor and her vulnerability and since she was able to translate the role and william wyler was smart enough to just let her soar it's a it's it's a good movie and it works, but it almost works entirely because of her. And um, she's like I said, a heart Weiler and soul. Not really getting yeah. in the oh yeah, completely. It's and it does hold up because you never get. I don't get tired of that performance vocally, the the comedy, the drama. I mean, she's extraordinary, and it's that kind of thing that it often is enough. I mean, years ago, before that, like in the fifties, you have something another slight musical from Broadway, Call Me Madam, which has some wonderful Irving Berlin songs, but the main event is watching Ethel Merman in her prime do her thing. And it doesn't really matter that it's just a kind of a throwaway piece of material. Um, Just to give you a couple of laughs and make you smile, you've got Merman, a powerhouse, being funny and belting out those songs, and it's worth it, and it's enough. And um, often the case, like I said, when you're casting people who have to be dubbed or who just aren't right, you can't get that experience. But if you have Barbara Streisand and Funny Girl, most of the work is already done. <laughs> so She was great. I want to do a couple of tidbits from that, of course. True stories of Tinseltown. One of the tidbits <laughs> is allegedly Omar Sharif thought she was homely. Until oh. he met her and he, yeah. she cast her spell over him. She yeah. was Jewish. He yes. was not. And this became like the biggest scandal. And, you know, like they, they had this romance and it came out and it was like, oh, my God, she's Jewish. She's, I guess he was Muslim. And um, it was like bigger than the, the Seven Day War, Six Day, whatever the war was. And it was really, they were condemned. Also, did you hear this rumor about Anne Francis? Yeah. That yeah, she got supposedly, cut. Yeah. The, yeah, her part's very skimpy in a way that makes you scratch your head. Like, why, why is she, is she here at all? <laughs> yeah. Because we know who she is. So um, why would she take such a nothing part that there was more to it? And there was always talk that it, Barbara Streisand used her pull to, I don't know, think she was pulling focus. Although it's, it's kind of hard to believe Barbara Streisand would be threatened by Anne Francis in a supporting role in a movie in which 99% of it is Barbara. But, uh, but, but there's definitely a weird editing thing going on with Anne Francis, who's sort of there and then she's not. And then you just forget she was ever there. Yeah. It's really so, weird. And, and um, it is weird. You know, some people, well, look at Valley of the Dolls. This is never was a, a, a show, but I'm just saying, you know, oh, yeah. it's sort of like the Judy thing or somebody. They get yeah. intimidated by yeah. one good performance. Somebody has one song and it's like, get them out of here. Well, yeah. maybe it could have been, like I said, why would Barbara be uh, insecure in that situation? But, you know, Anne Francis was tall and blonde and pretty. And maybe it was more that kind of thing, her looks, than mm. than, than the talent or anything like that, where she, you know, 
well, who knows? I but, thought Barbara uh, was gorgeous. I I just thought she was really, you know, she was not your typical and, beauty. And she, but she had that, you know, charisma. She had beautiful eyes. She yes. had and nice she had the lips, confidence the to yes. dare you not to accept her on those terms. Right. And she won the battle. Like she said, sure we're did. looking at her now in mm-hmm. Funny Girl. Look at that profile. Look at those. You know what? Uh, but she fought the norms. And and she won. <laughs> so. That's why I, I know she can be a bossy, but so can anybody in show business. But I yeah. always admired that because she didn't go and have that big schnoz job and she didn't do all that stuff. And she was just, you know, I, I'm a fan. I'm a fan of Babs. I am too. And you think, you know, I was just looking actually recently at a clip of her at age 20 on the Ed Sullivan show. And you think, where does that confidence come from that belief that i belong here and i'm i'm that special and whatever insecurities you have she also had that thing that's like stand back because it's my turn and i'm taking it and and it's compelling but it's combined with humor and vulnerability and so it's, it's very easy to see why she you know became such a superstar in a very short time <laughs> and she you was know, amazing and she didn't sing and she, in a lot of so, her movies uh, and so undeni- the talent is so undeniable i mean i know mm-hmm. there are no people who don't care for her but you you can't deny the gifts that she has no um, but some people do <laughs> yeah but, but saying that that yeah. um that's a good example of, like I said, nobody really even cared what the, the the telling of the story of Fanny Bryce is is incidental to right. the emergence of Barbara Streisand in Funny Girl. That's what the movie is. <laughs> it's you, a vehicle, for, you know, for, for her to emerge. Did yeah, you yeah. see Funny Lady? I never did. Yeah, yeah, it was because I was a teenager, but and of course wanted to see anything she did. Um, it's you know it's a different kind of thing because now you're watching uh, the, the biggest star in the movies in a movie instead of the girl making her debut from Broadway. Right. And so and she's also playing Fanny as a full fully formed star rather than a wannabe on the rise. And so as I recall, you know it's funny when you know, the movies you remember from that time in your life you have an affection for that you might not have if you saw again with a little more of a critical eye but yes. I, I remember i liked it and there's some good songs and good musical moments i i think it's one of those sequels though that there really was no point uh, dramatically there was nothing really left to do wasn't james Kahn in it yeah james Kahn is billy rose but omar sharif comes back briefly um they have a little reunion but you know it, it it's just one of those, there's just not enough reason to continue the story. But, you know, as I recall, it's got enough uh, musical moments that make it certainly worth seeing. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe it doesn't play very often. So. No, it doesn't seem to. No, it and neither does Funny Girl. I don't think they'll show up on TCM, but I haven't seen them show like the two of them back to back. Um, yeah. Okay. Um, Another uh, one I wanted to mention uh, goes back to the 50s. Like I said, there once we're already in that era where things are getting heavier and more expensive and miscast. One of the ones I really do love is the film of The Pajama Game with Doris Day and John Raitt. And it's an interesting thing because in that case, they took basically 
the entire original cast from Broadway, except the female lead, which was Janice Page, uh, and got a movie star, Doris Day, who was ideally cast in the role. And they had two directors. You had Broadway's George Abbott and the movie's Stanley Donnan co-directing. And it's one of those things where it all came together kind of perfectly. But to me, the magic ingredient in that one is they didn't take it too seriously. Now, true, it's like uh, a Call Me Madam or, you know, one of the lighter shows, slighter shows. It's not Oklahoma. It's not Carousel. Yeah. You don't have to genu- genuflect at the <laughs> pajama game. It's a musical comedy. But there's something about that unpretentious, spontaneous feeling that makes it one of the uh, most enjoyable and it's really visually quite lovely, even though, like I said, it's not expensive. There, It's not epic, but uh, it has beautiful color. The camera moves in interesting ways. It's it's just really good, and you just wish so many of them had had been as smartly put together as that one. And even like though I said, the show itself is not that great, but the movie's better than the movie versions of much better shows, quite a few of them, so... Can I ask I, I you like this? I, yeah. You know what? I've never seen it. And I don't see it on TCM or anything like that. That's very rarely played. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. wasn't this, um, I'm asking, yeah. was it the pajama game when Janice Page got ill, Shirley MacLaine was her understudy, and she became a star from the pajama game? Or am I you, wrong? You're half right. You're half right. It's the right show, but it's not the Janice Page part. The supporting actress is Carol Haney, and she did the Steam Heat number, which was kind of the showstopper. Yeah. And it was Carol Haney who doesn't come that night. And I believe it's Hal Wallace in the audience when Shirley MacLaine goes on and, you know, plucks her out and brings her to Hollywood and uh, the rest is history <laughs> so um, and Carol Haney is in the movie she does her part in the movie um, but she was more of a choreographer or at least that, that's mostly what she did it after and didn't really pursue the performing end as much but Pajama Game again preserves a sort of classic performance from the stage and you get to see her do Steam Heat the big number an interesting tidbit, though, about Janice Page is, of all people, it's Doris Day who takes her part. Doris Day's first film is Romance on the High Seas, about two girls. <laughs> I've seen it's that, yeah. Doris Day and Janice Page. <laughs> so cut to a decade later, and you've got Janice Page who goes to Broadway because her movie career is petered out. And then they, they make the movie of her hit show, and it's Doris Day who gets the part. But then they're together and please don't eat the daisies three years later. So yeah, I'm sure she gets to. Was, oh, no, she didn't everything slap. Everything was cool. She didn't, <laughs> she didn't slap. Uh, I'm thinking she didn't She didn't slap doors, though. She slapped no, Rex. It's a, uh, what's his uh, name? Uh, David Niven. David Niven. Yeah. David Niven's the critic who pans her in something or other. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, so it's like it's just for just – there's something just right about the pajama game. Everything is sort of judged in the right dimensions. And I, I think it's one of the most um, satisfying. Yeah. You know what you have on as well? I'm looking at the list you sent me. Cabaret. Yeah. Now, Cabaret is one of the greatest in this in this subject we're talking about. 
And it's almost, you know, some people said it was so great it kind of killed the genre off in one fell swoop because there was nowhere, there was nowhere to go after Cabaret (laughs) because it had taken it to a true sense of seriousness in dealing with uh, Berlin in the early 1930s. And the thing of cutting those sort of musical comedy songs from the show and keeping all the songs performed in the cabaret or, you know, most of them or changing some things. But essentially, it's not a musical in which people burst into song in their living room. They they burst into song in the club in which they perform. And so it was sort of a, a musical f- for people who hate musicals, I guess, because they weren't stopping to sing. They were singing when they were supposed to sing, except for the great scene, Tomorrow Belongs to Me, in the in the beer garden, when people, again, they're supposed to be singing, but it, 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 that is a great musical moment, uh, yeah. terrifying. And but again, it's it's appropriate to real life, and so cabaret again took the show, and I would say made it even better, made it more serious. Um, and it's it's a it's a great film on any terms, whether we're talking about musicals, Broadway musicals, dramas, anything. Right. It's just a great film. Yeah, I love the film. And in in like with Streisand, even though Liza Minnelli's not recreating a part she'd played. It was kind of a perfect match. And again, you're watching someone at full throttle, you know, take ownership of the screen and be kind of incredible. Again, in the in the book scenes, vulnerable, funny on stage, absolutely electrifying. And so, again, it's one of those moments like her mother in a star is born, say, where you just were Streisand and Funny Girl, where you're just in awe of the sheer talent of one person in the right vehicle for them at that particular moment. She was fabulous. And I love Liza. Yeah. I really do. Yeah. And um, yeah. that movie was great. And it wasn't yeah. like you said, you know, just well, I'm walking down the street or like you said, get on your tap shoes. You're not tapping yeah. Yeah. along yeah. in a Busby Berkeley. Well, well, that's a stage one. But I mean, the other ones like on the town or yeah. something like that. Um, yeah. And it's interesting. Another one on your list. Chicago. Well, you know, Chicago was written by Kander and Ebb, who wrote Cabaret. So this is sort of a companion piece, even though they're completely different. But I think the show, which I saw when I was a teenager in the 70s, was was well-received, and I loved it. Most people loved it. I think there was a certain aspect of it being, at least as a musical, ahead of its time, that there was a level of cynicism in the material, even though the material's from the 20s and it was made in the 40s. There was something about, I guess, being a Broadway musical, it seemed a little cynical, especially in the year of a chorus line. Um, Anyway, by the time they make the movie, 25-plus years later, it seems like the times had caught up to the show. It was still the show, but now it was its moment. So having waited that long, actually, was to its benefit. And like uh, Bob Fosse cutting the musical comedy songs in Cabaret, the ones performed in real life, so to speak. Rob Marshall had another concept that made it work where all the songs would be in the imagination of the character played by Renee Zellweger, Roxy. And again, it was kind of a brilliant idea, and it worked all the way through, and it was a way to have people break into song and dance without it being the old-fashioned way. 
And again, when you see the show now, I think you almost kind of miss that aspect of that further dimension that the movie brings to the material. And it's easy to see why people loved it and it was critically acclaimed. And and the casting was, even though it was three people we don't associate with musicals, they all were ideal in those parts. Richard Gere, Catherine Zeta-Jones, and Renee Zellweger. And it was like the moment arrived you know, the timing was perfect, and it all came together. What about, did you see, I'm talking about Renee Zellweger, and this is this was never a play, but playing Judy. What do you think of that movie? Well, um, I, I guess I was mixed. I didn't hate it, and I certainly didn't love it. But I gave her a lot of credit for her commitment to yes. all aspects of what she did. In the acting of it, in the trying, the singing of it, and all of that, I do think it was a mistake to let her sing because yes, we're in fan. we're fans really of got, dubbing here. Yeah, yeah because <laughs> it's not because whether I can sing or not. She sang perfectly yes. well enough for Chicago. Absolutely, that was totally accept, more than acceptable. I mean, Gwen Verdon originated, and she barely had a voice left when she created that part. But it's not that kind of part. It's not a belt. It's not funny girl. You know, it's not that right. kind of part. But with Judy, you're playing not just someone who can sing. You're playing a genius. So singing well is just not good enough. No, and there's so none of that. Hearing <laughs> someone sing adequately just didn't do it. So I thought that was a mistake and it took away. And so I, so like I said, I gave her a lot of credit for certain aspects of what she did, but ultimately I, I don't think I would have praised her to the skies in the way that she was. And give her an Academy Award? And give her an Academy Award. No, because it didn't, it didn't, it wasn't a home run. You know, it, it was admirable on many levels, but no home run. Um, yeah. What about, um, a chorus line. They were playing it on something, yeah. and I, I, yeah. I saw it like when it was like its fiftieth year, fiftieth yeah. year. I don't know how long yeah. it was on Broadway. I saw it, and that was okay. Yeah. I mean, the vulnerability of the people, their stories, whatever. I think right. Donna McKechnie came back for that. Donna, it was like Donna McKechnie. Yeah, yeah, she was the the sensation of it, and I remember seeing her in it, uh, her big number and all. Uh, but, you know, the irony, back to Chicago, was that those were the two shows of that particular Broadway season. And, um, a chorus line, you know, basically you know, dominated, and right. Chicago was the also-ran. But as time goes on, one of them has a, a movie that people are going to love for many decades, Chicago, Best mm-hmm. Picture of 2002, and one has a really bad movie that no one's ever going to watch, and so it it does it, it does tarnish your reputation yes. somewhat if the thing that's out there is bad. It's bad. And a chorus line, it goes back to that thing I was talking about in the 50s with who's going to direct it. You bring it, okay, Richard Attenborough directed that movie. He had just won the Oscar for Gandhi, of all things. <laughs> And he could probably pick anything he wanted at that particular moment and probably wanted to stretch himself and whatever. So he picks something no one's going to think he would pick. And it was the wrong guy. He shouldn't have done it. It's just a, it's just a nothing. It's just like, you can't believe this was one of the theatrical events of the 70s. It was awful. It, it just, it's like it never happened. 
What's it's his name? Nothing. Michael Douglas is just sitting in the Michael darkness Douglas, making his yeah. things. And I was like, yeah. you know, snorbore. Yeah. And it's true. It's the kind of show. It, I don't know what the answer is, but you had to come up with something the way Fosse did with Cabaret or Marshall did with Chicago. And he didn't come up with anything because it's a show that takes place in a theater. And when you see it on stage, you're in the theater it takes place in. So you've got the that character of Zach running up and down the aisle just as he would if we weren't sitting there. So like, how do you create that kind of world in a, in a movie and give the spectator the same kind of kind of visceral experience of being in it while it's happening? And they didn't come up with anything. They kind of just did it and uh, hoped, hoped it would be enough that it was those songs and, and that choreography or whatever, uh, I don't even, I, don't, I barely remember it, except that it was such a huge disappointment. Yeah, I I didn't watch the whole thing. I, I didn't yeah. like it. I saw that it was on again, and I, I had just clicked on it, and I'm like, ew. <laughs> Michael Douglas was yeah. talking. I'm like, I ain't watching this. <laughs> I don't yeah. like this movie at all. And you, um, you, Go ahead. Um, but, you know, the thing with Chicago was that it, you know, reignited the whole uh, idea of of you could have a box office smash based on a Broadway musical, which was, you know, what was I in nineteen when that came out? I was like forty, and I never in my life thought there'd be another Broadway musical that became a movie that would win a Best Picture Oscar and be popular. So it was like, I can't believe this is happening again. This was such a dead form, and it's sort of for the next twenty years, there have been quite a few of them. Each hoping, I think that's been like the gold standard of mm-hmm. success. And some have you know, done okay. You know, Dream Girls, of course, uh, Sweeney Todd, they got good reviews, did did well. But most of them have been horrible. And yes. it's almost like you're back in that same cycle of you make enough bad ones and then it's over again. I think this, there's a lot riding on this West Side Story for that very reason. But in the last 20 years, I mean, the movies of some of the biggest shows have been the worst. So you've got the Phantom of the Opera movie, the Producers movie, Cats. These were among the worst ever. I never. Did you see the movie Cats? I did. I mean, I saw it at home, but uh, that was a real jaw dropper of, again, I couldn't even get what they were trying to make it be. Uh, uh, It just was... A head sc- all he kept thinking was, why didn't they just make this animated and have you know all those That's people do idea. voices? Because it was so uncomfortable to look at. <laughs> so wow. creepy. It got panned <laughs> everywhere. Everywhere. And it deserved, everywhere. I have to say, that was a case where they deserved it. And um, uh, it, it's a tricky, tricky thing, you know. Uh, is there anything else on your list, or you want me to keep uh keep dominating grace as you said i could take over your show please do (laughs) take over your show i do have something Uh, i want to ask you yeah about 70s musicals okay so they were different and there was a star is born and then recently there was another a star is born and what did you think of did you see both yeah, I've seen all of them <laughs> going back. You know, um, Janet Gaynor. Yeah, of course, and even the early ver- What Price Hollywood. I which love is that the one. Sort of sketch. That's great. Yeah, that's good. I like the Judy Garland one the best by far. 
Um, I think that's the best, has the best script and it has the best, uh, two people where I feel the love and the connection most deeply in he that was version. Wonderful. James Mason, so many there. people turned it down and yeah, you know, yeah. it's so ridiculous. And the, he was wonderful to me. And I ha- have to say he, to me was just cause he didn't sing, but he was on par yeah. with me. I, Always, this is just me, find the men more interesting. I think it's more interesting to see the career in decline. And uh-huh. I think, yeah. uh, you know, I loved Babs, and but, you know, she's supposed to be rock and roll, right? Yeah. And she was not. Her songs were great, but they were not rock and roll. And I just thought Chris Christopherson was fabulous. And yeah. I didn't really like, you know, the Gaga one. Um, it yeah. was okay. But the best person yeah. I thought was Bradley Cooper. I thought he did a good job, too. Yeah. And they yeah. thought he just, Barbara says they did a remake of hers that they copied yeah. a lot of her show. Well, they kept the music industry element where the other ones are about movie, the movie industry. So they changed the which part of show business. You know, is that they kind of, from Judy Garland, they took the musical element. They just changed where they put it. Instead of her being a movie star, they made her a rock star. Um, which is all to- totally acceptable. I just feel like none of the none of the versions work for me in the same way, simply because of that element of chemistry and that how um, they are trying to hold on to each other as they know it's it's headed for disaster. But it, it, they never turn on it. I mean, I just emotionally, they're just there's just a beautiful bond. Yeah. In that film, and then I think none of the other couples quite convinced me in the same way. Um, Babs yeah, and uh, Chris Christopherson convinced yeah. me, but Gaga and Bradley Cooper, not yeah. a bit. She was not yeah. there for him, and he was there for her, but, you know, always oh, drink, he's that. And she was not a person, maybe yeah. they're trying to make it okay, don't take abuse from that, whatever they were doing. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, no. You know, just gonna say no. Yeah, but you know, speaking of the seven, I'm glad you mentioned the '70s because we we would have to mention Greece only because it was so popular, and that was kind of a last gasp of popularity. Because right. I was talking about how they were getting worse and worse in the '70s, but at the end, '78, there was Greece. I, I think I tend to forget it because. It's such a bubblegum kind of movie. And I had seen the show on Broadway maybe two years before that, and I loved it. And the thing I loved about the show was it was kind of gritty. It was kind of edgy, and it wasn't sentimentalized. And then the movie actually tried to turn it into a 60s kind of <laughs> that Frankie Avalon feel. Oh, he's in it too. That's right. But that kind of Troy sixties. <laughs> yeah, they they made it cute in a way it wasn't on the stage, and people loved it and embraced it, and they still oh, love man. it. But but it to me it always kind of was a betrayal of what was so good about it to begin with. So I never really think of it because I don't particularly like it. But uh, no, yeah. I I what I I never saw it on Broadway, but. You know, the cast people are like four years old as teenagers. I don't mean that right. literally. They were in their thirties and it's like, come on, peeps. You know, John Travolta. Uh Olivia Newton John I think was thirty two. There was uh Stalker uh Channing, I think yeah. she was about thirty five. I mean, and she looked it. None of these people looked like teenagers, let's face it. So it was like really oh brother. 
Well, that's what I mean. Like, it, it does have a kind of the whole thing feels fake, like, right. like intentionally, like it's it's so steeped in nostalgia. But the show wasn't really like that. The show, like I said, not that it was Rebel Without a Cause exactly, right. but it, but it had a little something that made you feel like the people who wrote it were there and they knew something and they were sharing something. And the show is just total. The movie's just you know total commercial you know, pop silliness um, compared to the, to what the show had been. Now, when they do the show, I think they're more inspired by the film anyway. They don't even go back to that feeling. They want to give people what they come to expect, which is basically the movie, you know. Yeah. Oh, with younger people, maybe. <laughs> you know, really. I, that gets you. It's like, why don't, but at that time, that's what they did. Now they're more, at least, They'll do, like, early 20s if you're supposed to be a teenager. Well, the, there has been a lot of controversy this year with Ben, ben Platt and Dear Evan Hansen because he's either he's like 27 or 28 playing high school. But I had seen him on stage. He was spectacular. And I didn't have a problem with – to me, he still looks – I mean, I'm 60, so that's why I guess someone 28 still looks 17 to me. But um, I thought he was wonderful, and I, they were smart to let him do it because, like Funny Girl – so much of the show's success was the greatness of the person who created the central character and to throw it to someone else on the chance that they can come up with the goods in the right. way that original person did is a big risk. And I, I really, I thought they did a really good job with the film. I'm sorry. It's been kind of tossed aside, but, um, you know, casting, I'm thinking of like, some of the big mistakes, like when Lucy did Mame, and of course I adore Lucille Ball. Most okay. people do, but that just wasn't that wasn't right, and it was sort of doomed <laughs> from the moment she kind of signed on because she, as much as I guess on paper it might have sounded good, because Mame is the most fun person in the world, and who brought more fun to the world than Lucy Ricardo? But it just didn't connect. And she didn't doesn't really sing or dance, and no she way. was too Cigarette. old for the part. Uh, yeah. So it just it's like it, she seemed overwhelmed by it, and um, I think that was true also when um, Madonna did Evita, where I mean Antonio Banderas walked off with that movie because he was so in charge and so easy and just effortless. Yes. And she looked like she'd used all her effort in getting the part, and then she got there, and I always felt like she kind of froze well, with the I'm responsibility. Sure yeah, that's big. It's like, I've got it now. Everyone's going to be watching. And I mean, she wasn't horrible, but she was not the best choice. Um, and again, those something like Mame or Evita like Funny Girl, rests entirely <laughs> on who's playing her. She's playing Vita, uh, the main character. Yeah, and it's she, like... Yeah, I agree with you on that. She didn't... She didn't... However adequate she was, she didn't soar. And if you're not going to soar, there's someone else out there who can. And that was true of... Um, uh, I mean, it was unlikely they were going to let Angela Lansbury do Mame because she wasn't a, a movie star right. at, at that point. But but they, if they were going to go outside of Broadway, it, Lucy was was not just not the right choice. And it also bombed, right? It bombed. It did. It did. Are you going to watch uh, the Nicole Kidman um, Lucy, her the Lucy. turn as Lucy? 
I am. Yeah, I'm going to watch it. Yeah, yeah, certainly. I'm curious. Yeah, they have uh, like this thing, and they they only show her at the end doing the the grape scene, but not yeah, a lot of it. Yeah. And it's all in voiceover, so they're not really showing yeah. Nicole. I'm curious. Curious. Yeah, I'm curious. It's going to be hard to put that over the most familiar personality in show business of the 20th century. I thought when I heard about the project, I thought there was going to be no recreation of any of the scenes from the TV show. They shouldn't And that never it was all that. backstage. Yeah. And when I saw that brief second of her in the grapes, I thought, oh, no, please don't do that. Um, so uh, I don't know if... What? The, how much of that it will be in there? I, oh gosh! It's, I hope not much because when they've done the movies and yeah. on TV, oh my God! You know you can't capture Lucy in that way. That and those four were just so wonderful. They were just yeah. the best cast. And I'm yeah. like Nicole Kidman. Huh? Yeah, who I mean, we wouldn't have thought of anyway. Not in a zillion we were, years, I would think. And, but if you're thinking, but if it's totally a backstage look, then it might be interesting if we can believe it and just see her as a person uh, aside from the character. Right. But if you're going to, if you, you know, it's a lot to say, okay, you're going to be in this comedy sketch and, oh, right, you're playing the funniest woman in the world. <laughs> Go. <laughs> so, right. And she's you know, her most famous routine. <laughs> I know. And she that was so great because she said yeah. she almost got killed by that little Italian lady they really fought. I and I love I that makes me laugh because all of a sudden you see Lucy's feet come up. And that, that's yeah, it, wonderful. It's it's brilliant. Yeah. So, yeah, so uh, I don't uh, know, John, know, so but I'm looking the, forward to watching it. And I am yeah, going me to too. watch it. And I'll watch every me too, minute. Me too. And we can talk about me it. Me too. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. So we are at 57 minutes, kiddo. You okay. have to keep it to an hour. All right. I think we did a lot. We you did. Know, we, we got a lot. We praised, we criticized, we did it all. <laughs> I hope you didn't feel like I was taking over. That's right. I want my show. Oh, wait. It's not my show. Okay. <laughs> but I'll be back. I'll be back, and you can have it back when I come back. I'll no, give it back oh, to you. I loved it. That's all thank right. you so much. You're perfect, really. Okay. I love it's it. It's fun as always. Good, uh, Grace. Good. It is. So um, thank you, everybody, for listening, and thank you, my dear. John DeLeo, okay. he's written many books. So I'll hook you up with them. He's got a new one coming out next week year which is supposed to be super duper it comes out officially for award season so you know uh, watch for it january february i will talk about it probably next time with you um but if you go to my amazon page the cover is there but i'm 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 waiting for the i'm waiting for the press release to talk about it uh on social media and stuff like that so but it'll be soon 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 we're looking forward to it and i will read it of course i will buy it anyway Of of course Thank you, everybody, for listening. Yes, this was the first musical thing from True <laughs> Stories. So she far. survived. She survived. And Yay. I just, you know, thanks for bringing it up, John, because, you know, people yeah. love musicals. And yeah. you know your stuff there, kiddo. So I really appreciate it. So thank you, John. Good. And thank you, thank everybody, you. for listening. And t- till next time, adios, amigos. Bye-bye. Listen to the stories of Tinsel Town.